0: Well, hello there, and welcome to Apostolic Voice. I'm your host, Ryan French. My guest today is Reverend Tim Hayden. Tim pastors Antioch Northwest Pentecostal Church in Portland, Oregon. He works as a licensed counselor specializing in addictions, runs the popular blog at alphatov.net, along with a new podcast called Alphatov. Tim also has a fabulous expository book called Exodus, a literary commentary on the book of exodus. It's $12 on Amazon. I've attached all those links for you in the program notes. Tim's married to Amber and together they have 3 boys. Honestly, I don't know how they do it all. Tim is a great friend of mine and of this program. Uh, ryanafrench.com, the blog. We featured his article The Development of Vision and it's inspired countless leaders over the years. He was a guest on episode 49 of this program and we discussed his article the Rise of the Artificial Face, Cosmetics, Makeup, Body Modification, and The Great Cover-Up. To this day, that remains in the top five most listened to and downloaded episodes here on AV. I've asked him to talk with me today about his views on the Asbury revival. He's written a good deal about it at alphatov.net. In addition, he's voicing some cautions for the Apostolic Church regarding our public response to to the Asbury happenings. And if we have time, we'll jump back into our ongoing discussion of the image wars and talk about the psychology of the artificial face. One thing is for sure, this is going to be a fantastic conversation. So let's go. <laughs> Brother, thank you so much for being on Apostolic Voice today. I, I really appreciate it.
1: It's good to be with you.
0: Well, it's not your first time on. I don't know if, if you realize this, but uh, our last conversation uh, is, is in the top five most listened to and downloaded episodes on this program. So a lot of people were impacted by, by the conversation and your article on makeup and body modification and all of that. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for having me again.
0: Well, I was I was preparing to talk to you today, and I had been reading your articles on the Asbury Revival, and I want to jump into that. I know a lot of people are thinking about that right now. Um, but as I was going through some of your articles, I noticed that you've revamped your website and change some things from what used to be in search of Kings and maybe you could tell us where we can find all of your, all of your work now and, and what it's called.
1: Yeah. So um, again, uh, it's great to be with you. Um, I actually noticed for some time, it seemed like you took a break and I noticed you just got back into it. So I was excited to see uh, some of the new content coming out. So the new uh, we've switched from Search of Kings. I was in a conversation with a couple friends, uh, not too recently. Um, I've had this idea, and I've really had this passion, uh, to bring together a compendium of source sources, uh, academically, biblical exegesis, uh, dive into the cultural nuances of today, so postmodernism. Um, take on some of the subjects that, you know, Jordan Peterson has really become among apostolics, especially the younger generation has really be, be become a gravitas among us and and, and, and even engaging with uh, some of the things that he talks about. And, and and again, I could spend a lot of time in that, but that that's the reason for what I'm doing. So really, my idea is is to pull together a compendium of resources, articles. I've already talked to a couple uh, apostolic scholars, uh, actually talked to one today, uh, asking them if they would be willing uh, to collaborate with me to, um, you know, produce articles, uh, exegetical articles, academically driven articles, something that really takes us deeper into the Word of God. And so the name for it is really meant to create a dissonance so in the Old Testament, the Hebrew alphabet, you've got the first letter is, is Aleph, and the last letter is Tau. And what's actually interesting, where I first discovered this is when you go to Genesis chapter one and one, if you read in the Hebrew there, you'll notice that right after Elohim, there are two characters that are not translated in any English translation, mm. and it's, it's the Aleph and the Tau. Mm. And that's in the original manuscripts. And so, of course, Aleph is first and Tau is last. Wow. And so, what you have hidden within plain sight, uh, except in English translations, is you have in the beginning Elohim, first, last, and then the rest of the scripture. Wow. And so, when Jesus makes the statement, I am the first and the last. Of course, in the in the Greek, it's I'm the Alpha the Omega,
2: which is what he's we're usually familiar from. with, yeah,
1: yes. Well, he's pulling from if if you are familiar with Hebrew, which many of his his listeners were then, certainly they would they would have known that that silent Aleph Tau that was in Genesis one and one. And so from that, I, I started thinking, you know, how can I pull this together? Search of Kings, it's, it's served me well, uh, but it's a little bit ambiguous. So uh, how can I, I, in a sense, pull this to a higher level of scholarship and interest, um, podcasting, interviewing people? And so the idea came to me. I want to pull a little bit from the old and a little bit from the new. And so I did a little bit of a tweak instead of Aleph tau, which is first and last in Hebrew. I replace the Aleph of the Hebrew with the Alpha of the Greek. And so you've got Alpha and then Tau, which is that last, instead of Omega. So it's it's meant to, for anybody that's familiar with any form of Greek and Hebrew, it's meant to create a dissonance. And so when they see that, it's meant to catch their attention. And spell that's that, really how...
0: Now spell that mm-hmm. for people who want to go to the website. How How would they spell that?
1: Yeah, so... A L P H A T A V as in Victor. V. And so that, yep, so that T A V is pronounced like a T A W. Or you'll see it sometimes as T A U sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, And it's dot net. So alpha tau, or as you would read it, tav dot net. And so alpha tau <laughs> And so, yeah, uh, that's where we're going from there.
0: That's so exciting. I'm excited
1: about it. Yeah.
0: And that's just launching. So this is, we're in the kind of the beginning phases of it.
1: Beginning phases, they can go on there, uh, sign up for newsletter, get updates. Um, going to be, I just dropped one of our first uh, book reviews. And these are actually book reviews that are getting published in uh, apostolic journals as well. Um, so they, they're going to they're be getting firsthand content. Uh, if that you know, As deep as they want to go. Um, I can't wait until I upload my uh, my podcast episode on Cartesian Doubt, the Chronicles of Narnia, and the Hermeneutica Suspicion.
0: Now that sounds We're gonna have fascinating. Fun with that, one. that sounds outstanding. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 All right. Well, pulling us uh, into more of the, the cultural mindset here. And by the way, I did notice for those that like to follow your cultural commentary, uh, you still have all of that content, Kent. It's just been moved uh, under a new heading, a new name. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, And I know that you've been following the, the Asbury Revival, but not just the revival itself, kind of the apostolic reaction to it. And mm-hmm. you published an article on February 17th uh, called Asbury mm-hmm. Revival, A Cautionary Stance for the Church. And... I read through it, and uh, I, I was interested in it specifically because—and I need to make this um, confession right up front. I have not followed—I'm one of the few people in America who has not followed the happenings uh, in Kentucky very closely. Part of that is because I'm not very active on social media anymore, and I, most of that is just for my sanity— um I, I found that I do get on from time to time and I post things from time to time my wife and I share an account and all of that but um I you know I just find myself uh, pulling my hair out if I'm on there too long. And uh, so, but, uh, you know, you kind of have to be on the social media to really stay uh, abreast of it. But I've been looking at it some this week. Maybe for those that are listening and they're like me, they've not been following very closely. Maybe you could just describe what's happened and and how the response has been as a nation, not just as apostolics. Just catch some people up briefly.
1: Sure. Um, And it also depends when we talk about, you know, for me, um, I was first brought into Asbury by texts that I was getting from um, fellow ministers and preachers saying, what are your thoughts on this? So for me, it was, um, you know, I think because I do swim a little bit in the cultural phenomena that happen. um, So I was getting these texts and so I started looking at it. So Asbury uh, of course is a Methodist university I believe in Kentucky and um it's got, got quite a history I think back in 1970 they had another similar um another similar uh, burst of uh, revival uh, what they call it so I guess what ended up happening is there was a chapel service um we have since come to find out that that it, it wasn't exactly as spontaneous um, as it was presented. But, but all that aside, I don't think anybody's showing up. Um, I think their going was spontaneous. Sure. So they started a chapel at the end of the chapel. What ends up happening is a couple days into it, there are thousands of people that are starting to um, come into this city this small city uh, attending this this revival well what begins to happen is social media takes flight um facebook instagram i'm not on um twitter so i don't know what happened on twitter at all of course i'm not on tiktok neither should anybody else be <laughs> right um but uh just this unbelievable um fascination this reaction to it was in the news. Uh, Tucker Carlson talked about it. It was showing up. Uh, I mean, just being just wall to wall coverage, uh, especially by apostolics, because, of course, that's who I primarily follow. And so w- when I saw this begin to happen, the first thing I noticed was was it was twofold. One, I saw this instant excitement. The. Uh, the uh, hunger among us for these, for the last day outpouring of the Spirit, um, uh, the prophecy of Joel, uh, they were saying that this is the last day outpouring, this is another Azusa Street, this is a great awakening. Um, and then on the other side of that coin, and I'm hopeful for all those things that were being said when I first saw it, the other side of the coin, and this is typically... Um, a symptom um, of the apostolic community when the world appears to be having what is considered to be movements of hunger. I saw an instant denigration of the apostolic church by even some of our very own uh, preachers or or evangelists or people that are known among us. Uh, To give you an example, statements such as, you know, this is essentially God's displeasure uh, at the Apostolic Church, we, we're so fat and sassy. We're not hungry. So God's pretty much left the church building. He went and found hungry people. Mm. And so I, I saw this twofold. It, it was instantaneous. Um, we had multiple um, you know, men and preachers that if I were to name their names, you would know their name. But I'm not going to do that because I'm not here to uh, sow discord. And 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 even if you go back and read my article... Uh, the article was not uh, meant to be divisive, but it was meant to be to the point and it was meant to get us to think. Um, and so I even heard some of them um, getting out, and they, all, I mean, I've, I heard some of them prophesy. I, you know, heard them prophesy about what this was and this was the beginning of. And, and, and so for me, it was alarming. Uh, this isn't our first rodeo. With reaction uh, reactionary mindset within the church. And so let me just give uh, for for many of your listeners, they probably don't know me personally. Many of them have probably never heard me preach. They probably don't know what I believe. Um, to just explain who I am, uh, I sat across from a very well-known preacher the other day that if again, if I were to mentioned his name, everybody would know him. He's a very good friend of mine, very smart, very intelligent, preaches a majority of conferences across America. And I made a statement to him. And I said, the way that God has made me is even if my friends jump in a canoe, with a great idea or some opportunity that's opening up. And they say, yeah, let's get on board. Woo! And they they just jump in the canoe and they just start rowing down downstream. And they're screaming and yelling with excitement. I said, you're going to turn to the left and you're going to see Tim Hatton going the other direction for just a little bit.
3: <laughs> right.
1: And I said, I'm geared this way. I have lived... Uh, long enough. I've experienced an unbelievable amount of things. Um, you know, I've got a lot of mileage on me at 40 years old. Um, I, I, I watched one of the greatest uh, preachers in Pentecost, who was my pastor, failed God. I've seen things happen. And so I'm, I'm very cautious, optimistically cautious about everything. But I am the guy that will say, okay, hey, I, I, hey, I hope this is right. But let me row upstream uh, and just get it let me let me get up a little ways up there and let me try to get a, a bigger picture before I just dive in and just commit to everything carp, just 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 all of it. So that's my nature. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not saying this to Pat myself on the back. I don't think I'm anybody special, But I do think that in this in this era of the echo chamber, where we surround ourselves with people that we just want to agree with us. I do think it's very important to have uh, individuals who are not against, but who are, I guess, uh, purchasing a flight, flying up to try to get an aerial view, while they're praying, while they're believing God to do something great. I do think it's important to have somebody sit at the table and say, Okay, this might be, but why don't we pray about it? Why don't we wait? Why don't we just give it a day or two? okay Now, we live in one of the most impulsive generations I have ever I have ever lived through
0: reactionary
1: and uh, it is very reactionary so my um, my my desire behind the article was not to. Um, castigate th- those that were attending Asbury. You, you will not find that in there. Um, again, I, none of it. My goal to write this article was to, I guess, in a sense, be that, that stopwalk monitor. Uh, you know, just just we need a speed bump here and telling the church, like, look, guys, we have rushed into things so many times in the last three or four years that it might, it might help us to slow down a little bit. Let's just be cautious. Now, I'll ask you, what, I mean, you not knowing, um, is there anything that you would see wrong, even as a pastor, a father, a human being with the idea of caution?
0: Well, you and I have this in common. I sometimes think when I read your articles and when we talk and when I hear you talk, you and I have incredibly similar approaches to life. I tell people when I read when I read your articles, I I always know I'm going to agree with it. It's just I don't know, it's like we're brothers from another mother or something. I I I have that same approach to life. I sometimes tease My brother Nathan, because uh, shout out to the Noteworthy podcast, but uh, he's kind of got like the John the Beloved ministry, you know, where it's, you know, he's great at being positive and and I've kind of got that voice crying in the wilderness, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like that's the mantle God has put on me is kind of that constantly being that cautionary Although I do try very hard to balance that with optimism, uh, I don't believe, and you mentioned this in your your second article, the response to uh, your first article, tapping on the brakes is not the same thing as, as hitting the brakes. Slowing down isn't the same as stopping. And I think no. being careful is not the same as denying the good or denying. Or denying progress, or hoping for something to fail. But I'm like you; I have seen so many things rise to prominence incredibly fast, and then fall mm-hmm. just as fast. So jumping on a bandwagon is not something that I do quickly. My well, my we, whole okay. focus around this, the, re, the really what what caused me to be interested in it was saints in my church who were coming to me and saying, "Uh, what's going on? What do you think about that? And I realized, well, I'm going to have to go read something Tim wrote to figure out what I think about it, (laughs) (laughs) or at least give give me a starting point. And and then you, of course, did uh, what I expected, and that is to be a a reasonable voice, not a negative voice, but a reasonable voice. But we do live in a culture, and I think you'll agree with this, where caution and just trying to be reasonable is viewed as negativity
1: it it is um it, and let me i guess let me say this again, you know I mean that article i mean it was over thirty four thousand reads, which for for a a blog is is just absolutely staggering. that's immense yeah um. And I'll be honest, I, I got a whole lot more positive reception to it. Good, but I also got a tremendous amount. When there was negativity, it was it was deeply vitriolic. I mean, it was it, it was hateful. It was, I mean, I was labeled as a um, as a Pharisee. I mean, you, you can go down the list. Any sense of language that can marginalize me. All because, and again, I wanted to ask those people, you know, I don't engage with vitriol. So that's just my number one rule. Right. Um, There's no winning. I I do. I love criticism. I love proper criticism. Um, It's, it's the foundation. That's part of why I'm doing this, this alpha tau dialogue is very important. I think we've lost the ability to dialogue and disagree with one another. Um, I like when people disagree with me and I, I take their disagreement and I think about it and, there were some people that some of the things they said in disagreement. I, I understood, and uh, it you know I did change and tweak a few of my personal feelings on some of the matters. Um, so I'm not against change, but uh, what really staggered me, and I guess just to just to jump into this, again, the fact that you had to issue a disclaimer. For the idea of caution, mm-hmm. right that is again, like you be, you are manifesting what's in my opinion wrong with our culture today. We cannot use the word let's be cautious" without inserting a disclaimer that we are not being negative, that we're not being against, that we're not being for. but the moment we say be cautious." We feel this innate pressure to qualify, caution. Yeah, mm. and what I'm what I'm trying to say is that is that we have plenty of scripture that that speaks to the importance of wisdom. You know, so like one of the things that I I, I went into there Proverbs 19 and two in the ESV uh, it says desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Yeah. And so, so uh, one of the one of the commentaries that I was reading on that I thought was very well said. Uh, he wrote that that one who cannot be bothered to think and listen before he rushes into an action that goes wrong and thus ruins his life through his own folly. I, I thought to myself. A speed bump in a school zone Let's take a school zone. You know, most people don't need the speed bump because most people are, are cautious when they enter in. Even if the lights aren't flashing, they know they're in a school zone. Yeah. And what are they thinking? They're thinking there are children here. This there could be, you know, children are used to this street. They're used to running across this street. They, they don't think the same as they would a highway or a more traveled road that doesn't have those cautionary signs and and education that surrounds that. And so that speed bump is not put there for the cautious driver. That's right. That speed bump is put there for the person that can get distracted, the person that is on their phone, the person that is on rushing to make it to work or, or, or maybe has never been down that road before. Those speed bumps are there to merely serve as a pretty quick awakening that, hey, man, slow down. And so, w- again, that article, as many of my other articles have been, they are merely, it's, it's, it's Tim Hatton walking in with a concrete crew And saying, all right, the speed on this current road is way too fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so let me just insert this. So, this is not the reason I wrote this, but I have or have had in my time as a church planner, I have had people that I have won, that I've had to win out of a very um, superficial, um, uh, uh, cheesy grace paradigm and like I'll insert the name like Bethel style church community yeah where you can live like you want there's no call to obedience yeah. to the word and it's just it's just a worship experience I had to I had to work them through that because it's very seductive very seductive spirit. spirit yeah and and I'll be honest if 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 I had just rushed into something like Asbury and not just taught a little bit about it here locally, uh, I could have – some of my very brand new people could have been thrust into great confusion because um, here God's wanting them to go deeper. But then all of these other apostolics are talking as though this is something the apostolic church doesn't have. That's right. And so, uh, again, what it does is it says, I I just say, okay, I'm going to lay down a speed bump here. I hope something comes out of this. Man, I I see a few positive things. But social media has what's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yeah, yeah. And, again, with my counseling background, um, psychologically, it's a very real phenomenon. I mean, it triggers dopamine. So what happens is when you see twenty-five people post something, we want to be in the ground level of these swelling movements. Yeah,
2: everyone wants to and be so in the. So everybody,
1: know. yes. Well, everybody wants to say I was I was the first one there. Well, <laughs> yeah. when, when let's be honest, Ryan, how many people do you know have lost a tremendous amount of money in the stock market?
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah,
1: because because of the fear of missing out. And so like I use lucid as an example, they're an EV manufacturer, incredible looking car. But at one point they were being touted on the Reddit forums as the next Tesla. Mm. So everybody's rushing in the fear of missing out. Everybody's got a Robinhood account because, because of what ended up ha- happening with all the AMC stuff during COVID. And, uh, they just swoop in and they spend thousands of dollars on this pipe dream because they don't want to miss out. Well, guess what? That, that stock has gone south. Yeah. And, and people have lost a lot of money because they did not slow down. And first of all, ask themselves, do I even understand the stock market? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just jumping in. Yeah. Is this a high risk decision? Yeah, it actually is. Um when when you're just chasing that 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 hopeful dream of a profit, you're gambling with 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 your money. I mean, to me it's no different than gambling. Um and so, you know, a lot of people lost money. And so my whole thing was and and I'd like to talk about a few segments of it, but my whole thing was, hey, this could be great, but let's stop rushing into this and saying it's Azusa, or or thousands are getting the Holy Ghost, or all these things. Let's slow down before we just hook, line, sinker, tether ourselves to this.
0: You know, you and I went through this in a similar fashion, and for the listeners, we will uh, give, I think, our unfiltered opinion of what's happening towards the end here, but we're just kind of making our way there. At least I will. Um, but you and I went through this with the whole Kanye situation. We both wrote articles about the same time, uh, when, when Jesus turned to Jesus and I'll tell you, I probably have it. There've been very few times that I've been more beat up than when I just said, listen, let's be careful about elevating this guy to profit status, you know? Uh, I'm not saying I wasn't trying to comment on his sincerity. Uh, I hope that he was sincere. I, I do think that uh, time has proven that caution was the right move. Um, mm-hmm. And you know that's something that people have to decide for themselves. But all I was trying to say is why do we have to be? And you mentioned this as well, and I really like this. Apostolics sometimes struggle with kind of the, uh, what I think of as, is this need, this overwhelming need to be accepted by the cool kids, you know, to be, it's like, we're the, the kid in school that we're not in the popular crowd. And when one popular person pays a little attention to us, it's like, suddenly we're all beside ourselves. Uh, that's not my personality, but I see that played out in a lot of, a lot of lives. And it's like, we're just dying for somebody who's perceived by the world as cool to like us. And when they do, we just we just lose all sense of perspective. And I, I see some of that happening here in the sense that one thing that I think is a misnomer with this whole so-called revival is the idea that this doesn't happen in other places all the time. I personally know that revivals on this level are happening around the world in an apostolic setting on a regular basis and mm-hmm. in our local churches we just don't have tucker carlson talking about it or or the uh, the eyes of of all of social media on it but it does happen it just doesn't always happen mm-hmm. at the same level in, in terms of of popularity and knowledge where everybody knows it's happening um and so i think that we get sucked into this mindset that all of our churches are dead there's no revival happening and we need this uh we need something from without uh the church to make that happen does that make sense what i'm saying do you agree with what i'm saying or am i off in any way
1: no i agree um you know, it's hard to diagnose, uh, because I do know, again, that even a lot of people that will listen to this later, their their motives are very pure. Their sure. intentions are very pure. Um, but too often, it's hard to delineate between those that are castigating the church, um, those that are unhappy with their Their apostolic heritage, it's really hard to figure out who's where because, yeah. uh, again, one of the things that, um, that I, I notice when any of these things happen is a lot of the guys that are on the peripheral of Pentecost who pretty much make it a full-time job of theirs to criticize everything apostolics do wrong. Are very quick to jump on these things and say, aha, see, see, God left you. God, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we are the ugly stepchild. Um, you know, we don't love people. And it's like instantaneously we go to this fault finding scenario with the body of Christ. And, and, you know, I posted an article years ago that God doesn't have a girlfriend. Like, God's not courting, you know, like, let's be very careful about throwing his bride under the bus because we're talking about God's bride. Like, okay, so yes, God can move on other people. You mind if I read the Kanye portion, the two paragraphs around Kanye?
0: Yeah, please do.
1: So just for those that, you know, again, they can find this whole article. So here we go. So then who can forget the overnight fervor? of so many within the Pentecostal community when Kanye West proclaimed his conversion to Christianity. The posts by Pentecostals were fired off more quickly than the celebrity tabloids. The wholesale promotion of Kanye's Christian music and the heated aggression toward anyone proposing a cautionary stance over the fanfare was decisive. We watched as social media was bombarded by individuals fawning over this divine moment that would likely result in a global revival where countless millions would now consider Christ due to Kanye. I was unable to scroll through social media without the constant posts from Pentecostal leaders and congregations who were celebrating the bars dropped in Kanye's new lyrics. His songs were heralded as otherworldly, and so many that had been swept up in the moment fell all over themselves with adoring proclamations that the musical genius of Jesus converted to Jesus was something the hallowed halls of the Christian music community had never before experienced. Through the vociferous defenses and acclamations of Kanye, it appeared that the rebirth of Kanye was just what the apostolic church needed. And with him now serving Jesus and having been captured in a few videos with apostolic people, Joel's end time prophecy of global revival could finally come to pass. Now, I feel that that is an accurate statement. And I feel that is an accurate telling of what happened with Kanye. And when I inserted, so I bring up uh, Kanye West, I bring up the most recent one, uh, the football player that his heart stopped beating on the thing. And, and I am getting posts. I'm seeing things post by thousands of thousands where people are kneeling around and praying. And they're saying, look, God's getting the glory. You know, people are praying and there's these calls for ecumenical prayer and hashtags for prayer. So I, I, I talked about that one. I talked about Kanye. I talked about uh, BLM with George Floyd. Yeah. And that is not, a popular one to talk about. No, <laughs> um, again, I'm nothing to do with what was what was done wrong. It was the instant reactivity of the church to just hook, line, and sinker dive in to this societal murmur. At the time, there was very little. If you go back, remember there was not a lot of details uh, that were all we had were videos. Uh, that were posted from certain angles, we had their word, his word, we were not given all the details. And it it took it took a while for discovery to happen. Yeah. But what happened? We were encouraged to put black social media boxes up. And I watched multitudes. Um, I watched pastors go read uh, uh, Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility. Mm. And they started talking about how uh, we have this subconscious bias. I mean, they were out there marching with V.L.M. They were, and and I'm sitting there saying, we've got a we've got a problem in America. Like, yes, that was too much force, and and but there's there's a bigger picture of this whole thing, and it's not about right or wrong, but what is the church doing? And then to see a pastor, a very well-known pastor, get up in front of his 98 percent. White church, obviously not impacting the black community in his city, which there's a large group of, say, we're gonna kneel down and we're gonna pray for the exact minutes and seconds that George Floyd was held underneath by. And when I see stuff like that, I say, What are we doing? We are rushing in to what Douglas Murray calls the madness of crowds. And and, and I say this, we're pulled from Kingdom Wars into culture wars and before we know it we've committed wholesale to things that we don't even have all the details but here's what ends up happening give it a little time all of these championed efforts that we say all these all these relationships we've cut off because we're we don't anybody with caution is disagreeing with us and so we cut off people that disagree with us and we're right and they're wrong well give it a couple weeks or months and And guess what? We all go back to life as normal. What we were proclaiming doesn't come to pass. What we said was going to happen doesn't happen. And now nobody talks about Kanye's music. Now all those people that were vociferously engaged with vitriol towards me writing that article, they're gone. They're now moving on to their next articles, their their next sermon points, their next thing. But they're never going to say, you know what maybe we were a little too uh, quick to rush in um, and and not realize you know what Kanye does have he is bipolar um he he what he says doesn't match what he does and where I want to say where were all those people when him and Marilyn Manson were sitting there together yeah. On yeah. that latest, on that latest video track, I, I mean, Ryan Marilyn Manson.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, oh, mean, I know. Yeah, it's it's
1: <laughs>
0: it's disgusting.
1: So, so I'm not here to say I told you so. That is not my point. That is that's trite. I am not here to be trite. I'm not again. Thirty four thousand plus people read my article. I had a positive, but. I'm going to tell you what I did get. I got so, I mean, countless uh, comments, texts, messages, even from people I did not expect it from. Some that used to be on the Kanye bandwagon, all that stuff say, I want to pre, I want to say how much I appreciate what you wrote. They said, because it made me slow down and pray before I just went out and, and, and just, basically become a champion publicly of of this thing. And you know what at the end of the day I feel like my little speed bump it helped. And again if 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 I can keep one person from just rushing headlong you know what did elvis sing only fools rush in. It's, and so it's uh, funny
0: it's funny you mention elvis because I was sitting here thinking that Sometimes we think our generation is facing completely new things, but I can go back, uh, ooh, to my childhood, and I remember hearing mm-hmm. the elders talk about, uh, you know, Elvis being a Christian, and uh, and and I've heard my parents talk about all of the folklore around Elvis receiving the Holy Ghost, and maybe he did. I hope he did, and and all of that's all of that's good to the you know maybe think about from time to time but there was there was so much fervor around the idea that Elvis was you know just just you know a, a moment away from becoming an apostolic you know and converting the world that was a major thought <laughs> in the minds mm-hmm. of elders and so this thinking is not even though i think social media exacerbates it, it it's, not it's not new it's just that now it, we're so public with it. Everyone has the ability to, just with the push of a button, to to display all of those those things publicly. I think it's always mm-hmm. been something the church has wrestled with to a certain extent. And you know, here's my let me get down to what I think of as the brass tacks with this whole situation. Because I know some people listening are probably thinking, well, what does it matter if? If we're wrong, you know, maybe we get excited about something, and then, you know, six months later, we realize, well, maybe I shouldn't have been quite so publicly uh, um, vocal about it, and maybe I shouldn't have held that exact view. Maybe I should have been a little more caught. But in the end, what does it hurt? Well, here's my concern: um, I have a church full of of new saints, new converts, people who are young in the Lord, people who are weak in the Lord, people who are uh, just learning the things of god and as you mentioned in your article and you've already mentioned here the spirit of ecumenicalism is so strong in america today yeah. it, and it is so yeah. seductive the the and the pressure that every christian has to be fully accepting of every other theology, every other, it's just, let's just all love Jesus. Let's just all be nice. Now the amazing thing is it's all sweet and kind and loving until you don't agree. And then it turns into a rabid monster that will absolutely murder you, which I think displays the real spirit behind the spirit of ecumenicalism, it's, it's, as long as you don't tell anyone else that they're wrong, you're great. But the minute you hold something to be absolutely true and necessary, like speaking in tongues or baptism in Jesus' name, or actually living a life of godliness and holiness, the moment you hold any of that as, as necessary, you become the enemy, and then anything goes. Love doesn't matter anymore. And so my concern is when we jump on these bandwagons and we see people, for example, in Asbury, and we're calling it a revival as apostolics, and they're not following the plan of salvation, but we're saying, hey, this is a sign of—this is like Azusa Street, when it's clearly not Azusa Street. We are sowing confusion in the minds of people who are who are either being seduced by ecumenicalism, who are confused, who are trying to come out of ecumenicalism. Who and those people are are everywhere. Those there are probably more of those people than there are people who are strong in their in their doctrine. And those are the people I worry about. Uh, those are the people that I didn't want following. Uh, Kanye for theological advice, for example, those are the people that I don't want to be confused when they come to church and hear, you know, you must be baptized in Jesus' name. But then if I'm saying, well, hey, there's this amazing revival happening over there, but no one's being baptized in Jesus' name, does that make me a, a liar? Does it make me a hypocrite? What does that make me? Does that make any sense what I'm trying to say?
1: It does. Um, and again, I, you know, listening to you, uh, even at that one point, I do know the response that you would receive uh, after some of those statements is, you know, well, you know, they have to. I mean, you can't control people. You can't control what they look. And I don't think this is about controlling. I I think, number one, as a good shepherd, we follow the directive of the great shepherd. And we understand that as shepherds, um, there are certain um, certain things that can be very disruptive to the digestive system of sheep. Even sometimes kill sheep if they were to graze in the wrong place. Uh, wh- what I'm starting to notice is it's getting harder and harder. Um, for these newer generations to discern where the good grass and the bad grass shifts yeah and it's it's you know like at the end of the day if if i have good bermuda seed in my yard but it's got a 60 percent weed base i don't have a good lawn and i've got to fix the lawn know um, so I, I guess what you say makes perfect sense. And I, I guess I just want to add, again, because the moment we talk about this, I'm very aware that people listening right now, there's going to be this, this instant reaction from some of them that are say, you guys don't want revival. You, you don't believe. And, you know, everybody's got to be hungry somewhere. I've heard all of those things. And again, I want to clarify, I was not disparaging the people that were going. I wasn't disparaging anybody, but what I was saying is, and and you touch on it. So I live in Portland and it's a little bit, I'm I'm a little hypersensitive to this. Well, you live in the Atlanta Metro and let's, let's just talk about that for a moment. You have an annual gathering called the passion conference Mm -hmm. that happens in Atlanta. There are 60 thousand plus people. Now, here's the difference with passion. All of those people, the majority of those people going, a lot of them are very young. And and I'm not going to doubt their hunger. Here's the difference. That group is open to the charismata. They're open to a, a doctrinally distorted view of, of, of glossolalia. The, sure the gifts of the spirit tongue to all of those things. Yep. they're very open to that so i look, i'm going to be very honest with you i do believe that there's probably people that really do get the holy ghost sure because it's a gift Absolutely. and they have faith
0: just like the i believe people problem, are healed
1: yeah yes the problem though is when we divorce a move of god from the word of god right that is where distortions occur. So the latter rain movement, um, the dancing pastor out in Seattle, um, Barnard. He, I mean, he had one of the largest churches back in the '70s. It was a oneness church, but he started divorcing that work from the Word of God and became all spiritual. And next thing you know, there's adulteries going on because they have spiritual dance partners with each other. <laughs> How does that happen? It ha- it happens when we start moving away from the Word of God. That's right. And so, um, like so, here's a couple of statements I made. So, uh, number one, um, pray for and seek the win. So we should sit back and pray that there's a win out of Asbury, Absolutely. but be cautious, cautious enough to allow for divine discernment and direction to illuminate potential snares and pitfalls along the way. Are we not the people that are living in the end times where the Bible talks about false prophets, uh, false Christ, uh, myriads of people falling, even the elect will fall away? Yeah. Are we not commanded by the word of God to be watchful in prayer, knowing that the, the enemy, like a roaring lion, Seeketh, And so one of the statements I made that I think is very important, and for all of your listeners, I want them to hear this one statement on Asbury. Again, I'm not against Asbury. I'm against our response to it, That's right. I was with BLM. That's what
0: I wanted to say I, earlier. That's right. I'm not against Asbury at all. Anyone who thinks that up to this point, I apologize for that. What I am against is the yeah. way that apostolics— respond to it without caution. That's what I'm against. Go ahead, brother.
1: Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So picking back up on that, uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, preached a message called the sword and the trowel. And, um, from that, you know, I was thinking about that. My idea that came from that is we have to always be on guard. So let's build, let's always be on the the, the edify side, like we're always building, but we also have to be guarding because we do know that there is an enemy out there and the enemy of ecumenism right now is a, to me, it is the final uh, apostate spirit that is going to sweep this land. And I think it's already done more damage to people in the apostolic faith than any other spirit has.
2: Yeah, it's here.
1: And so. I say caution should never be a dog whistle for 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 cessation. Right. Like, so you know, that doesn't mean we say, all right, we're not going to progress. We're not moving forward. Right. Right. Caution should never be a dog whistle. But but faith should never be a dog whistle for reckless pursuits either. Right. Right. Faith and we are called. So there's a paradox in Scripture. In one place, he says, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Yeah. But then he turns around and says, watch in prayer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. So so we have this juxtaposition between faith and watchfulness. Yeah. And they have to work together. So anybody listening, just, just listen to this one phrase here that that I, I really feel sums it up. And this is all I was wanting to do with Asbury. And it's what I wanted to do with BLM. And it's what I wanted to do. Uh, I mean, go look at BLM now. Uh, it's been proven that they stole the millions of dollars that were donated to them. That's not a conservative conspiracy. That's they did not help Ferguson, yeah. one of the very towns they were meant to help. Yeah. But here's the statement I want to make. We must always be mindful that snakes love to crawl in tall grass. Mm, yeah. And sometimes it is necessary to gain a better picture of the path forward only after we have trimmed what can be the harbinger of hazards. Yeah. So all, all I'm saying is before we kick the screen door down open and it's a beautiful day and it's snake season and the grass is 17 feet tall, don't send your children down into that field recklessly playing in the field now No, go cut the grass that's right because when you start cutting the grass if there is something there it will be manifested so all i was saying is it's like the whole world of pentecost seemed to just they were like that little kid that's been locked inside for too long looking out the window the lip marks are on the window you know staring at all these people that are having a good time and us poor apostolics, we're stuck in this regressive church that doesn't have revival. <laughs> and then they see this, 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 this Asbury phenomenon, and it's like all of a sudden it was like the, the, the parents are gone. There's no parents. And the grass, you can't even see in the grass. It's just the horizon. But between the front door, the porch, and Asbury, you've got all these children just piling out of the house, running through the grass. They don't even see what's below them. They didn't even take time to put shoes on. The, the, they didn't even take time to think. I wonder if there could be something in this grass. Well, do you think it's smarter before you try to just rush headlong into the into the thickets that you cut it down? Yeah. Because then you get a better picture of not what lies in front of you. But what lies below you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's that is all I'm doing and I, I'm telling you I am the guy with a lawnmower and I'm saying, wait no kids, stay inside. Let me cut the grass first And then you can go play. <laughs> you know because again snakes they find their most venomous danger. They are they're the most dangerous when we can't see them.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, and, uh, what, you know what I've been saying to uh, people in my church who have come to me about this, and it's been more than a few. And I guess I could say this is the sum of everything I've, I've been leading to and we've been leading to. These are my thoughts. And now I want to be clear, these aren't necessarily Tim's thoughts, y'all. He, he may disagree with me, but here's here's kind of where I'm at with it. What I wish apostolics could do when it comes to something like this, I wish that we could, if we're going to go online and comment about it, I wish that we could go online and say something like, I am so happy to see hunger in American hearts. I'm excited to see that people are demonstrating a hunger for a move of God I am for that. I want there to be hunger in hearts. I pray this hunger leads them to repentance, water baptism in Jesus name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's my prayer. That's what I wish every apostle It doesn't have to be worded just like that, but that's my that's my exact feeling about the whole situation. I pray I I believe there's lots of genuine hunger there. I've I've watched some of it in, over the past week and there seems to be some real hunger there. And I I love to see I, that. I, yeah, I'm jump sorry. in. Can I ask jump a, in.
1: Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How are we defining hunger? Well, yeah, and, and yeah. I'm not I'm not take, I'm not taking away I, I do believe so so you you just you just qualified hunger. You said, I do believe there is, and here's the qualifier, real hunger. Mm. So by qualifying a type of hunger, you're also qualifying a different kind of hunger. And I'm, I'm almost afraid to go here, but you know, I guess I've been castigated. I've been castigated enough. And again, my goal here is not division. I am not here to hit a hornet's nest and just laugh because people get mad. I, I don't agree with that. That, that is not my motive for having these conversations. So I'm asking everybody what I'm about to say, just, just, this is dialogue. This is what, this is what makes the world go round. It's how we, it's how we progress. We allow somebody to turn the prism uh, and let the light shine a little bit differently through the diamond and say, okay, let me consider this. So all I'm going to do is present this. I've not published this article yet. I've sat on it. I'm debating it. But the title of it is hunger defined in Mm. the age of Asbury. Mm. And my question in there, what, what is the number one scripture that you saw the most quoted regarding hunger? All right. Blessed are they.
0: Yes. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst.
1: So that was, okay. So when, when that was one of the number one responses I was getting from opponents of what I wrote. Okay. Was, no, no, these people are hungry and blessed are those that hunger and thirst for they shall be filled. Did you, did you notice the dissonance in what I just said? They shall blessed be filled. Are those that hunger and thirst. Okay, what am I not saying? i'm'm I'm, I'm excluding intentionally two words
0: uh, after righteousness, time.
1: there you go. yeah. okay, so let me let me just and, and we'll move through, but I feel this is a very important distinction. and again, this is this is all new. Nobody's read this. So this is me just leaping out into the unknown here. All right. And, and I just I, I want to probe this. Let's just probe this together. Okay. OK. This is my let's just try to we're having a conversation. I don't know if I'm right. I'm not saying I'm right. I, but let's I'm just going to ask these honest questions. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I, I, I guess my question is would be it appears to be that the text of that scripture is quantifying or qualifying a type of hunger a specific type of hunger and it's a hunger after righteousness so just bear with me all right so one so i heard here's here's some examples like and i wrote these down here's Here are some examples from the Asbury phenomenon that that were written down. Quote, people are so hungry for God's presence. Okay, that was one. Then the scripture I read was another. Uh, I read somewhere number three, no one can deny the hunger that is there. Number four, uh, I heard people say, God will move on those who are hungry. And then one of the other ones I, I read was, this generation is hungry for something authentic. Now, I, I, I agree that there is a, an intense longing. This is my take. And, and again, if I can just push this through, then I want to get your feedback. I agree that at these associated universities in Asbury, there were many people there. Some were there for the fear of missing out. Others were there because it was a social media ph- phenomenon. Others were there because the collegiate, the National Collegiate Day of Prayer at colleges that was coming to a uh, coming up. Uh, Francis Chan and Rick Warren and all of them were going to be speaking at Asbury uh, the day after the final day, the 22nd of revival, quote unquote, closed. So all of that, yeah, I believe there's people there that are hungry. I, so I'm going to clarify. I think there were people there of course, that had an intense longing for the presence of God. Okay. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But when I go to Matthew five six, I'm wondering: does that speak to a specific kind of hunger? So let me let me just go through a couple uh, scholarly works that that get into that Greek word that's used for hunger. Okay, so in one in Matthew's usage of hunger. It is overwhelmingly concerned with right conduct, Mm. with living the way God requires. Here's another scholarly commentary. These are the most popular commentaries out there. Quote, for the poor, quote, righteousness would include having their basic needs for food met, but it goes on to include a desire to see God's standards established and obeyed. In every area of life. All right, let me go to the next one. Quote, specifically, we should notice that he is not suggesting that people can make a strong effort and achieve the righteousness of which he is writing. It is a given righteousness, not a, a, an achieved righteousness. The blessed do not achieve it, but hunger and thirst for it. They will be filled, which surely means that God will fill them his righteousness. Listen to this. Quote, we need not to doubt that the term here includes the doing of right, an indication that we are expected to live in full accordance with the will of God. How could anyone have a strong desire for a right standing before God without, at the same time, strongly wanting to do the right so, I've got like 16 more of these from some of the most popular scholars that are out there. Here's what I'm proposing, and this is another part of my cautionary tale. When people say hunger, these people are hungry. I will tell you in Portland, what I struggle with the most number one, there's a deep, if there is Christianity, there's a deep ecumenical spirit. It's seductive, it's slick. I can't even put my finger on it. It's like an oil slick.
0: Yeah, it's very hard to pin down.
1: The, I have people that, that I'm I mean, I'm telling you, in the six years, we just had our six-year anniversary of the church. I've had, in that time, well over probably 200 people come to my church, visit, first-time visitors, including the ones that are here or, or adding the ones that are here. Um, I've never had a shortage for people that are Intensely longing to have an encounter with God or something spiritual. I do not have that problem. That is not an issue here. So, for example, we had Sean few he's a Bethel guy during COVID. Mm-hmm, I remember one of the one one of the great UPC evangelists was out here, and I'm not disparaging him, but I would tell him he he upset me because he got all over social media. And was he went down to a Sean Fuek concert where they were doing Riverside baptisms, and he began to talk about how hungry Portland was for revival. Mm. And he began to say people were getting the Holy Ghost all around him. And then he made a statement. He said God spoke to me, and he said, "This is happening because these people are doing more with less than my people are with the full truth."
3: Mm.
1: Now I- I'm sorry. Here I am digging a church out, winning people, giving it my very best. I'm sorry, but I take issue with that statement. Number one, it's it's instantly we go, it's the bride of Christ gets punched in the face. Because it's like we're looking around saying, this is what we want. We want, valid. well, I'm going to tell you about that group. Sean Fute left. Most of those people went back. Sure, I think some of them got touched. God moves where there is desire. I'm not taking away from that. But I'll tell you what we have a famine of. I've got people, hundreds that have come to church here. They weep, they cry, they worship. Guess what? Many of these people, they, they speak with tongues. They've yeah. got a prayer language. They're a part of a charismatic background. They're a part of Bethel movements. There's no shortage of a quote unquote hunger for the presence of God. I don't see that problem in America or the world. You know what? I see a a problem that scripture I just read, Matthew, I see a famine and I, I think it's the book of Amos, a famine for the hunger of the word of God. So again, I'm not taking away from what was happening at Asbury, but go look at the, the words that were quoted the most. Obedience, obey, the Bible, scripture, sin. Most of those were absent from any message and speech. It was love, presence, joy, therapeutic, peace, stillness. Okay. My opinion, this is just my opinion. I want to ask you, and this is why I'm just turning into a question. <laughs> right. I think I think that we are wrestling with the scriptural paradigm that says broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to everlasting. I think we're getting uncomfortable with the narrow road. Yeah. And I think that we're so desperate to see the swelling and the bursting of hundreds of thousands gathered together. All receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and becoming uh, people of truth and holiness and righteousness. I think we're so hungry to see evidence of this last day outpouring, which I don't even have time to get into theology of that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that that I think sometimes we are, we're failing to delineate that the hunger for presence must be accompanied with a hunger for the Word. Because it's it's like if you can build walls without a without a foundation and it will all fall down. What what, what do you did I make am I making any sense? What, yeah. what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I do. I understand what you're saying completely. You know, I'm. Y'all, this is genuine. Just talking with no script, absolutely no, uh, uh, no agendas here. We're just talking out loud. My brain is, is doing several things as you speak. I I think, first of all, I would be the first to agree that they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled.
1: I, filled with what? Filled with what? Well, I—, I <laughs> the Spirit or righteousness?
0: Well, I believe that uh, to be filled with righteousness, you have to be filled with the yes. Spirit. So— um, yes, that, yes. that would be a correct uh, Pentecostal yes. theology. Um, I don't think that you can be truly filled with righteousness apart from being filled with the Spirit. So yes. my my response, though, I think the way that I would respond to what you've just said is it's very difficult, as we've mentioned earlier, to look at a single person or even a group of thousands of people and parse out every motive or every uh, Mm -hmm. ounce of sincerity that might be there.
1: Good.
0: I like to think that even though I'm uh, a skeptical person by nature, I, I work hard to try not to put um god in a box well yes but also i try not to place uh people into a box of of being um something negative for example i try not to assume their motives are are always bad uh now with sure. with leaders if if it's clear you know and they and i'm able to look at their life and know something about them, then that's different. I have a responsibility as a a preacher, as a man of God, to uh, discern when motives are not godly. So when I look at a group of people that are, you know, wherever, Asbury or anywhere else, or the church next door to mine, for example, uh, Mm -hmm. I try not to approach them with the mindset of, well, they're not they're not hungry. However, I make the qualifier based on this scripture we've been bouncing off of. Here's how here's how time parses out the true hunger from the the fake hunger or the sincere hunger. People who thirst and hunger For righteousness are going to be filled; they're going to be satisfied. And so, here's how I take that: they're going to receive the Spirit, and the Spirit leads Mm -hmm. us and guides us into what it leads and guides us into all truth. All truth. So, as as people, so that's how time that's how time will separate the true hunger from people who are just attracted to uh, the crowd or whatnot. Or, or the sensationalism yeah. of it all. And now no. I also see what you were talking about in my own church, where we have no trouble. We have more visitors on any given Sunday. I mean, just we don't have a problem having people come. We don't have a problem. You know, I know some Pentecostal churches struggle with people coming in and not uh, wanting to worship, but that's not—we're in such an ecumenical area here. I mean, people are very comfortable with dancing and clapping and shouting. You know, it's not strange to them, mm-hmm. uh, weeping and crying. But as you said, often where the rubber meets the road is when you actually start having to seek righteousness. There's where the problems begin for many people. And and you mm-hmm. can you can figure that out pretty quickly as time goes on. I guess what I would say to you is that I agree with everything you're saying. We need to define what hunger is. However, I would be slow to say that a large group of people were not hungry. I would I would rather assume, okay, I hope there's hunger there. There does seem to be some genuine hunger there. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. And Here's how we'll know if that hunger is genuine. Are they filled or not? If they're filled, then then there was hunger there. And that filling will lead them to truth, which I think sort of takes me me, back. But go ahead and tell me what you think about that.
1: Well, well, let me clarify, though, because this, this little insertion into our Asbury conversation, and again, I need to clarify because, again, there might be a listener that right about this moment they are frothing at the mouth. <laughs> right. I, I, I am not discounting again. And again, I, I, I don't even like, you know, the, this is me. You said by nature, you're a skeptic or yes. you're skeptical. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because that would be the old way I would have said me. I said, by nature, I am cautious mm. and I don't think caution is the same as skepticism because not one time did I make a statement that said this is fake, right? This isn't real, right? This isn't no, but all I have only said now. I brought the hunger part up because again, if we're going to use scripture, the way that my theological brain works is don't use a scripture unless you contextualize what that hunger is from that scripture.
2: Sure. Yep.
1: And every, every scholarly consensus in the Greek and language study would, would, would specify that to the, co- the audience that that was being presented to, hunger was more than just for divine presence. But it was a hunger for a life that did what was right according to the benchmark of the Torah. And so, in other words, when they're hungering, they are hungering for a life of obedience that is pleasing to God. And and so that's the context of the nature. So when I'm presenting this, I'm not saying there's not people out there that, that are not hungry. I think there's an intense hunger for the presence of God. I think there's even among there an intense hunger for the word of God within the scope that they understand. So, let me just tell you how I approach. Uh, let's say I have somebody come like we just had a Catholic woman that we won. Uh, she's just I mean brand new. Uh, she's so new that she came up to me one time and she said, "You know, I agree with everything that you guys do." She goes, "But there's just one thing I don't agree with." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, oh, what? What is it?" She said, "She said, well, one of your ladies was telling me that, that you guys have corporate prayer." Mm. And I thought, man, what a horrible thing to disagree with! I said, well, what about that? Don't you 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 like? She said, well, I believe we should pray for people, but I don't see why we should pray for corporations. <laughs> okay, that describes right, right. That so I'm I'm describing her innocency, her hunger, yeah, her you know she she is out of a of a culture that is is so mired in. In in a in in really an anti-truth doctrine. But when she came, she's so hungry for the word of God. And she's so hungry for the things of God and the Spirit of God. Well, as a former Catholic, I tell my church when they come visit or I meet them on the streets, and and I want to clarify this for everybody that's listening, again that is still, please get, let's move forward. And I'm talking to somebody right now that's listening. Um, Just move forward, listen to me. This is how I teach our people. Never discount anybody's experience with God. Right. Anybody. So I know Catholics that are very sincere. Absolutely. That have experienced and encountered aspects of God what I never do, and so I'm, qual- I'm qualifying what I'm saying, I never discount somebody's experience ever. That is a starting place for me. When people sit down and say, man, I felt God, I say, that's fantastic. So a lot of people that I work with, they have sincerely repented of their sins. They were very sorry for their sins, and they asked God to forgive them. Ryan, you know this as well as I do. When the blood of Jesus Christ is applied or forgiveness has come, there is a real feeling that comes with honest repentance. Absolutely, There is, there is a, an unbelievable feeling. And so what I do is I don't discount that, that people have repented and they've experienced. But what a lot of people do is they mistake the feeling they get when they repent for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. right, and, and so again, I'm not discounting what they've experienced. So I'm trying to qualify that for your listeners that when I insert that hunger question, that is merely, if you were to sit down at a table with me, any of them that are listening, it's, this is how I'm thinking out loud. I'm, I'm taking things that I've heard in my brain, when I hear scripture, I say, "Well, what does that scripture mean and 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 how do we contextualize that? And then another scripture comes in my mind. How many of us know the scripture? Um, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." Yeah, I mean, you know that. But why does nobody quote the what comes before that? Mm. Most people I know don't even know that there's a there's a beginning to that verse. What does it say? It says, if you continue in my word, Mm -hmm. then you will be disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Yeah. You, You see, what I think that America needs the most, and this is just me, It needs the twofold elements that started creation in the beginning. It needs a move of the spirit, which I'm seeing happen, but it also needs the word of God.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: We need the spirit and the word, and those two things can make the tohu wabohu, the the empty and desolate. It can take it and make it a, a paradisal idea for life to thrive in. That's what God wants to do. But if it's just spirit and no word, that can lend to what, what became the latter rain movement. Oh, the absolutely. word is so important. And so what I'm pushing is all these people that were out there that were, that were castigating the apostolic church, get in your car. I even put this in my article. If, if you have the means, I'm not denigrating what's happening at Asbury, but before you just promote this as the last day outpouring, the redefined, uh, a denigration on the apostolic church, get in your car, and if the Spirit's moving and people are hungry for the Spirit, get out there with the Word of God. And start to preach the word of God. We saw Taylor Fish do that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: We we saw which is outstanding. Yeah, we saw a couple other people do it. Well, my my take is I want to my, my real take is where where were all the apostolics? There there were churches two like less than two hours away. Where were the apostolics yeah. out there? praying with people talking to people bringing to work why was it one high-profile evangelist yeah can I take a step back yeah where was that evangelist that was at the Sean Fute uh, concert in Portland how come he wasn't there
2: sure yeah
1: and again I'm not throwing stones here but my thing is is if we're gonna be consistent let's be consistent if if you feel that this is a true a Zuusa outpouring, get out there with the truth. Get out there with the word. I couldn't make it. If I lived nearby, you know where I would have been? I would have been right there. Sure. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting there with the phone uh, doing (laughs) YouTube lives. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm being transparent. I would have been out there saying, God, give me discernment, give me wisdom, lead me to people that are hungry, to live for you that 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 are hungry for truth, hungry for more. God I believe you can fill people with the Holy Ghost and when they get that Holy Ghost it can it can awaken an understanding in them that will produce a hunger. But we can't just have spirit without a hunger for the word. We've got to have the two working together.
0: You know, I think about and, um, I think about Jesus when in his ministry There were times when he healed people and said, you know, don't tell anybody about this. And I struggled with that for a long time. I was was praying about it. I was reading that, several instances in Scripture. And it dawned on me, of course, Jesus was at the height of his ministry. He's healing people, and the, the crowds are just mobbing him, basically. And it hit me that what's happening is everybody wanted the miracles, but they didn't want the message. Everybody was coming Didn't, out for the healing. Everybody I'm, was coming out for the feeling. But but the message was being rejected by a lot of people. And that that becomes apparent at Calvary. It even becomes apparent at the outpouring on the day of Pentecost. You had Jesus is yeah. he's ascending and he tells this huge crowd, you know, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And only about 120 of that crowd actually listened to what he said and obeyed it. So the problem yeah. for Jesus was never attracting large crowds. The problem for no. Jesus was attracting people who actually wanted the message and not just all the good stuff that comes with the message. And, and I think that's true well, in and, our day.
1: Well, and I think, um, and again, uh, I, I need to clarify this because – Again, I I know how quickly somebody can latch onto what they thought they heard and then just tune everything else out. Mm -hmm. Again, um, never one point was I sitting there saying that I'm against Asbury. I'm against what's happening. I'm for anything that, like Jesus said when the disciples came to him and they said, Lord, these guys are out there. They're not even a part of us, and they're casting out devils. (laughs) Right. And you know, send fire down and consume them now, if that was your take, you know, anybody listening, if that was your take is you wanted God to send fire down and destroy like you're you're so anti the things of God, like that's not divine. That's not the blueprint of God. like th- there should have been nothing negative said about the average attendee of Asbury. We should be thankful that they're there, that they're seeking an experience with God, especially in a day where God's become so obsolete in a post-Christian world, we should, you know, we should, in a sense, respond with, if they're not against us, they're they're for us, and assume until we hear otherwise that, you know, these people are sincere. Again, the point of my message was a speed bump for the apostolic church in, in our our effort to just dive out there and overlook what God has been doing around us for years and assume that this is God's anger with us. God's not happy with this bride. We need to change what we're doing because what's happening there isn't happening here. And, and there is a danger in that. And we've watched churches, whole churches pull away from truth because they said some of those same things. And and we don't love enough. You know, love is always one of the beginning words of of some of the, of, of the apostates' beginning transition from truth is I'm doing this because I love people, and you don't love people. The church doesn't love people, and so there has to be a caution. And so again, throwing this out there for anybody listening, nobody was saying the people that were attending Asbury, there wasn't a sincerity. I can't judge everybody that's there, and I have to assume the best. But it doesn't mean that I have to become a champion of everything that appears to be a movement. And so I take, for example, Black Lives Matter. Uh, you could probably come up with, you know, or back in uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, The Jesus movement happened many years ago. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar. That movement, it decimated various apostolic communities. And I know men that lived through it that were there. It decimated some of apostolic because there was this hook, line, sinker of this is a genuine, authentic move of God. Let's just buy into it, not realizing that, yes, there might be hungry people. But we do have to be very careful about who's who's at the helm of of what is perhaps a move of God. And I'll tell you this about Craig Keener, a scholar and Asbury professor that's there. His definition of 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 soteriology and a move of God in the presence of God is not what is biblical. Sure. he's a little yeah. more open than some others but but if if he were to hear somebody preaching acts 238 craig keener would shut that down the way that we preach that now could maybe god work on him absolutely but again it's not resisting the movement it's not resisting what god's doing it's not resisting the potential for revival it's not resisting any of those things but it's just being Let's be cautious. Before well, we say something.
0: To me, this is my stance Go. all the time. You know, we have hundreds of thousands of churches. I don't know the exact number, but on any given Sunday in America, there are thousands upon thousands of hungry people. And I and I'll yes. stand by that. I believe hungry people who show up to churches wanting something genuine, wanting to be fed. But yes the question becomes, what are they being fed? What are they being fed? What are the shepherds feeding them? And, you know, I think of my kids when they were younger, they're not like this anymore. In fact, my daughter eats healthier than I do now, uh, which is humiliating sometimes. But (laughs) when my kids were young, if if I would have let them they would have just eaten, you know, candy bars and peanut butter. They'd have just lived on that. They'd have never wanted anything else if if I would have allowed that, if that's all I would. And they were depending on me to feed them, right? And yeah. and so I, I tend to take the approach that I'm not overly critical of hungry people who show up, but they're showing up no. to places that are feeding them just pure sugar all the time. Not that sugar is always bad. I like sugar, you know? yeah I believe yeah. in I believe in the love of God I believe in the mercy of God the grace of God all of those things I love the sweet stuff I love it and but there is more to the Christian life than the sugar yes. just like there's more to a healthy <laughs> yes. diet than a little bit of sugar and you know what what I worry about in Asbury and anywhere else is is not the the hunger of the people? Sure, I, there's probably a lot of hungry. There's probably a lot of wolves there too in the crowd, just like there is in in any service anywhere in America. Mm-hmm. My question is what what are the shepherds handing out? What are those under shepherds feeding? That's my question. And uh, you know, I've been listening to clips. I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing anything uh, of real. I'm hearing some good things that I agree with, but. Not, sure. not things that will sustain long-term, not things that will lead to eternal life. And that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want to see that. Now, can those people—are some people being touched, and can that lead them, and can they find—absolutely, I hope for that. That's my prayer. And yes. I think you and I are on the same page. Let me, let me close out, because I know we could probably talk another two hours here, but uh, I'm going to just throw this at you, because I, I was on Twitter— for just a minute today, and uh, I saw this, this little blurb from someone who had a, a religious leader who was at the uh, Asbury Revival, even as we speak, and here's what he said. He said, "'If you seek revival, you will get performance. If you seek Jesus, you will get revival.'" I want your initial reaction to that. I know we haven't talked about this. I just want to hear your, just your raw reaction to that.
1: It's pithy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's pithy. It's hard for me to expound on statements like that. Again, the, the the, the old soul that I am, it's like, I need to know the speaker. Yeah. Yeah. I need to know where it's coming from because that, that same pithy statement from, Three different people can have three different meanings. That's right. That's right. And so, again, I, I, I you know, for example, somebody that would say, you know, those that seek religion get performance and those that seek Jesus, you know, like, like we could use all kinds of different things. I mean, what's the motive of the person saying it? Yeah. But I don't really know. Um. So can, can, I, can I, as we close, can I just insert a few final points on yeah, this?
2: Yeah, yeah, please. Just, do. To,
1: just to provoke thought, just to provoke thought. What I would love to see, we, we were, again, we were, I, I would love to see us become more, if there is going to be a reactivity in the apostolic world, why not let it be? For what god's doing among our brothers and our sisters yeah if there's going to be a, a a a spirit of of celebration and passion and pursuit why do it do it for for other things i mean you know celebrate with caution what god's doing in the world around us but why not do it for our brothers So I'm excited that, you know, there was a video of a person being baptized at Asbury. That's exciting. I rejoice over that. But why did many of the same people that shared that ignore the seven baptisms that the church down the road had in their church? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of people that were just as lost. So I, th- I think coming down to a close, I think my biggest thing is, is while I'm being charged of being critical of Asbury, which I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm constructively criticizing our approach. I would say that it appears to be the day we live in, we are becoming more skeptical and critical of our own members in the same body that we are a part of. And I think it creates this this imbalance that is dangerous for the church. So a few questions that I want to ask all your listeners. Why are we so quick to accept what God's done at Asbury, but we're very skeptical or even willfully ignore the revival that's being reported on in a brother's church or another pastor's church? Why are we not sharing? what God's doing at Ryan French's church. Why are we not sharing the, the, the why are we not making it viral? What God's doing uh, like what we saw at North Little Rock with Taylor fish preaching there in, in one year, 318 people being baptized in Jesus name. Yeah. That that's exciting. Um uh, again, are, are, is it because maybe we're captured and this is dangerous to talk about Are we so are we so organized that we're disorganized when it comes to revival in the kingdom of God? You know, where I would challenge our listeners, highlight Asbury. talk about Asbury. be hopeful about Asburys. Be hopeful about Kanye. be hopeful about um, prayer uh, that's happening somewhere. Be, be hopeful and say, God, let this be an open door of opportunity for, for the church to walk through, for truth to reign. But this is what I feel. I feel very strongly, and I've told my church this, and I've told my close friends, I don't think that God can be happy with his bride, not because of what people are saying about the bride in, in comparison to Asbury, but because we are so quick to ignore the successes of our brothers. We're so quick to be skeptical of the miracles that happened in another church. But all it takes is one social media post of somebody that was not at Asbury And we are just wholesale accepting it, promoting it, talking about the next greatest thing that's ever happened in our generation, in our lifetime. And what I'm saying is every pastor needs their congregation to have the same fervor for what God's doing in their church and in their community. That's right. What your pastor needs is that same fire to get a hold of you. To so where you're saying to your youth group, man, did you see we had uh, w- we had 14 kids show up on the bus route. God is moving. There's a hunger in my city. You know what we're going to do because there's a hunger. We're going to go to the church every single day and we're going to pray. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to go. So that's what the that's what the church needs. But but if we're if we're just reactively chasing All of these things that that are not, they're not even, and we don't even talk to our next door neighbor. Right, right. We have this imbalance that's happening. So again, when Sean Fute was here, I'm glad people were at the Riverside worshiping Jesus. At least they weren't burning something down like everybody else had been. Yeah, That's exciting. But you know what? Some of the same excitement that that evangelist Promoted about being in there I wish he would I wish he would talk about the excitement Of being in a church plant And, and what God's doing In an apostolic church Yeah Because here's what happens you You want to know why everybody went to Asbury Because everybody was talking about Asbury
0: That's right
1: Do you know what would happen If everybody started talking I've got people that have never One time shared one sermon, one post, or anything related to the church that they go to here, here in here in Portland. Mm-hmm. But they posted 25 things about Asbury.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: It I don't think I'm far off here. If we would start talking as much about what God was doing at home, people are going to start saying, man, I want to come to that church. Can I read you a text real quick from Yeah? from somebody. This is a text. So we just had uh, a first time visitor came three weeks ago, just got out of, just got out of prison. He's been in prison most of his life. He, uh, his, him and his wife came, they have been invited many months ago by one of my saints that, that God has worked through. And, um, he is, he is the number one drug dealer in a certain large community of Portland. Mm. In fact, one of my one of my new converts recognized him when he walked in because he bought drugs from him in the past. Wow. He's been sitting on the pew, doesn't look very responsive. He's been coming. She's almost got the Holy Ghost. I got this text Sunday. You you ready for this? I'm ready. He says, this is this long text from a guy that doesn't really talk much. He goes, you know, this is the beginning. I have a church and I'm reading some of it. It's hard to make sense because, you know, this is the beginning. I have a church one that I've been going to for 18 years He goes, I've been going to a church for 18 years. Mm. And I'm reading it. He goes, I love the people there and will always love what the church there did for me. But my wife, I won't say her name, and I have been asked to come to your church by one of your ladies over six months ago. I didn't want to go to a different church, especially a crazy church like yours. (laughs) He said, my wife grew up going to churches like yours, but I didn't. He said, I could sit in two church sessions and not come close to getting as many hellos or hugs as I do at your church. Wow. He said, I have fallen asleep at my church and didn't enjoy it. But at your church, I leave there with such a joy and an overwhelming feeling of being loved. He said, I don't fall asleep. And in the past four or five weeks, I have learned more there than in probably all the years of my other church. He said, we have decided to make your church, our home church, a place where no matter what we did in our past or where we are in life. Now we are loved. Wow. Thank you for you and your wife for making bro, Do you know how that happened? I have somebody in this church that said, you got to come yeah. to Antioch Northwest. Yeah. God is moving there. We are. I mean, the, the spirit of God is falling. You know what happened? They were drawn here because it's all she talked about.
2: That's how what it would happen, Ryan. Yeah.
1: What would happen if the same way we talked about that? You know did we do more to send people to asbury and less to draw people to our church mm. if that's the truth then we are wrong that's right and so i would say let's balance this out all everybody that that took issue with my article i'm i'm glad of what happened at asbury but i would love to see your pastors would love to see That same energy. And it's like Johnny Goder said years ago, he's had somebody approach him who said, I'm going to leave this church. He said, why? Because the church is dead. (laughs) And Johnny Goder's statement to him was, well, where do you go to church? He said, here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the person said, well, I go here. He goes, well, then I guess you're part of the deadness. Right. He said, why don't you start, why don't you start creating life if you think something's dead?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: So does that make sense? I mean, I feel like that there's a lot of clarity in that.
0: It it does. And you know what? I think the the next article ought to be And, and the, the whole boiling down of this whole conversation is support your local revival. Yeah. Support your local revival. And you know what? When you start, when you start doing that, you'll see more revival. I believe that. Man, I love you. Thank you so much.
1: Great being with you.
0: Greet your family.
1: Yes, sir. Same to you. God bless. God bless you.